You'll be glad to know that as lockdown restrictions are lifting, you can now listen to this show in groups of up to six. My guest this week is the multi-award winning broadcaster Russ Williams. He's won Sony Gold and New York Radio Awards. He's been inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. You've heard him on massive radio stations including Virgin, Absolute Smooth, LBC, TalkSport and you've seen him on the telly as well including Sky Sports and ITV. He's even hosted This Morning. In the 90s he presented The Breakfast Show on Virgin Radio with Jonathan Coleman. They've got back together for a podcast called Russ and Jono Rebooted. I'm 100% clear, but I, you know, the thing is, with, with someone like prostate cancer or any kind of cancer, once you've had it and you've been through the chemotherapy and radiotherapy, like I have, you never really touch wood and sort of go, I'm, you know, and, until it gets to the sort of, I'm 15 years clear. I okay. think it's safe to always get tested. So there was talk of a of a, a life insurance policy, which I do no, have. No, 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 and, no, we don't need one. As luck would have it, I've oh, got the, uh, rub, uh, the same blue rubber gloves. I, I can't remember if I cleaned them from the last time I was in there. Would you care? because I'm going to feel your walnut now. I want to feel it nice and small. If it's enlarged, you go and see a doctor. If you feel any lumps on it, go and see a doctor. Can you just drop those board shorts, please? Yeah. Thanks. Just get the gloves on here. Okay, lovely. Can you just force your cheeks apart? Yes, I'm pulling both cheeks apart. Okay. Incoming. Incoming. That's a long way up here. I know. Oh, Stephen Fry's here. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> there should be a bunch of red roses for you. Read the card. No. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. I'm just gently... Do you know what? That is, is nice? so beautifully round. No shaving needed off the side of that walnut, <laughs> mate. Little squeak. Oh! Okay. I'm, oh, I'm out. Jono, you're lovely and healthy. And that's, guys, what you've got to do if you notice any symptoms. I'm not yeah. coming round to check your walnut. <laughs> Ross Williams is on the way soon. And another radio presenter is on the show this week, Ian Dale. I'll ask him about sharing personal details of his life on LBC. And I'll get Sean Williamson, who you'll know as Barry from EastEnders, to tell us about his passion for quizzes. I'm Graham Mack. This is the Pod 20, where I count down the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Number 20 this week, The Food Medic. Dr. Hazel Wallace. Hear from experts how you can live a healthier life and cut through the confusing information online. At 19, Friday Night Comedy from BBC Radio 4, your weekly dose of smug, middle-class comedy from writers and performers who have their heads up their arses. My special guest this week is the multi-award winning Ross Williams, who's a member of the Radio Hall of Fame. Ross, we know you from Virgin... Absolute Radio, Talk Sport, loads of other radio stations, but you've done a lot of telly as well. Snooker, the launch of Soccer AM on Sky, and you've also hosted This Morning. I have. How did you work that one out? It was years ago. Uh, you, eh? you only do it the once, or was it a recurring no, thing? No, I, I think I did it three times with Firm Britain, and she was really nice. And uh, I, I remember I went on holiday to Portugal. John Leslie was having a little bit of local difficulty at the time. Whoops, I've lo- lost my uh, uh, headphone. And um, without going into too much detail, ITB were uh, quite reticent whether they were going to continue with John, which they didn't in the end. And um, I remember uh, getting the paper, the Sunday paper, 
uh, on the beach in Portugal, and it, Ian Highland had written a bit, um, I forget what tabloid it was, obviously it wasn't a broadsheet because it's me, and, uh, and it said, uh, this morning boss is seriously impressed with the job that Russ Williams did. He's now a hot favourite to take over from John Leslie. So obviously <laughs> I, I don't believe everything that I read in the paper, and that was a, a really good reason not to believe it because it wasn't true. Uh, I didn't have any further discussions, but it was quite fun. Uh, I, I, I particularly enjoyed there was a segment um, that used to happen on the show called You Say We Pay, mm-hmm. uh, where punters come on, viewers, and uh, you just hand them large quantities of money, which I thought was great. So, uh, But Firm was lovely, and uh, you know, just put it down to experience. Lovely to be asked. What is the main difference between working in radio and telly, then? Well, obviously, television, people can see you. Uh, when you're on the radio, you don't need to have a shave, although, funny enough, I have for you, Graham, anything. Um, and I think the discipline is different because you constantly have people in your ear if you have what the user system, what they call open gallery. So you have a little earpiece, which are now really small. You can hardly see them. Back in the day, you'd have this sort of wire coming out and going down your back to a little box. Uh, so that's different, but you get used to that. Um, but, but broadcasting is broadcasting really, isn't it? Uh, I think mm. so. Uh, there's a, there's a little bit of difference. Sport is, um, not different at all. Really. It's, uh, you know, we've got this coming up for you. Here we go. Bit of half time, bit of the end and, um, carry on, you know? So I think a lot of sports broadcasting, especially live broadcasting on TV, it basically just stole what radio had already set up, didn't it? And things yes. haven't really changed much. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. There's only um, certain ways that the wheel can turn. You, you can't reinvent it. And as try as they may, the likes of Sky and BT Sport in this uh, ever-ongoing sort of uh, battle for ratings that they've got... Um, you know, they're only copying what ITV and the BBC have done and just sprinkling a little bit of, hopefully for them, stardust with no crowds. Hopefully people will get used to it. Hopefully there'll be a lot more respect for the fans because you see these huge TV deals that uh, TV does with football, Premier League and and uh, and the European competitions. Yeah. And now they'll realise a lot more that a lot of what they're paying for is the atmosphere in the ground. And when fans are being ripped off, you know, the prices of, of tickets for some games, mm. just silly. Maybe, you know, they'll give the fans a bit of a break and there'll be more realistic ticket prices, knowing that they need the fans because that's part of the spectacle that they sell to make the bigger money from the TV. That's right. I mean, match day income is hugely important for Premier League clubs. It's massively important for clubs particularly like League Two and League One, um, who don't get much television money. They don't get uh, sponsorship money of, uh, you know, enough, anywhere near enough to keep the clubs going. For the Premier League, even clubs like Spurs have, um, you know, asked the government for £175 million to keep going Mm. uh, during uh, all the problems that we've got at the moment with uh, the pandemic and... um, you know, they furloughed staff and uh, lots of clubs have done this. Whether the players have done enough, I think some have and, and some haven't. But at the end of the day, they are contracted employees, uh, much like anybody else who works for um, in an industry that is completely different uh, 
to the game of football. But I think the landscape, importantly, of football financially is going to change, um, whether it's for the better or the worse. I don't know. I mean, if Germany can get people in very cheaply and have packed grounds, you have to ask the question, why can't we do it in this country? And just maybe uh, with the economic situation that a lot of fans find themselves in, um, there might have to be a little bit of give from particularly the Championship and Premier League clubs and the Scottish Premiership uh, to actually get people in who will be struggling for money. There's, a, you know, We know there's an awful lot of people who are still going to lose their jobs mm. because of what's going on at the moment. Yeah. Ross Williams. Just hang on there, Ross. I want to get back to the chart. I, I want to find out in a bit uh, what kind of stuff you listen to. It's the pod 20 and at number 18, more or less behind the stats, Tim Hartford and the more or less team try to make sense of the statistics which surround us. At 17, it's Eden's End, a radio drama from Sean Williamson. You'll know him as Barry from EastEnders. Sean, you've appeared on and done really well on a lot of TV game shows, quiz shows, like uh, Celebrity Pointless, Celebrity Mastermind. Are you a quiz junkie? Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I've written a book, actually. It comes out October the 1st called A Matter of Facts, and that's about my year in the, in the world of quizzing, trying to win the World Quiz Championships. So ever since I got my first set of Trivial Pursuit in 1985, I thought, well, this is great, you know. Yeah. And I joined a pub quiz team, and then when I started acting in EastEnders, it, it, that sort of went. I, I had other things to do, really. But then I just reignited the interest again, and, and one of the things was after EastEnders, I, I kept getting invited on these quiz shows, Mastermind, yeah. And I managed to win that. I mean, you only have to do one heat, you understand, in the celebrity one. Yeah, pointless is my favourite because you have to know the subject, but know the least about, you know, the, 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 the sort of trivia of the subject, really, you know, Yeah, which is great. That's my favourite. And I've been lucky enough, yeah, we won the chase, uh, a lovely show called Today's the Day uh, a few years ago, Eggheads, where I was in a team that won Eggheads. Do you think it's that, that's because you've got such a, a broad background? I mean, starting off in a council estate and then being on, like, the number one TV show, whereas other people had a different path to get there, that you've been exposed to, to so many more different things and your curiosity's always been there, whereas other people have maybe been maybe focused on, on one thing from, from earlier, you know, like pre-27 maybe, or something? Maybe, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know I was an avid reader from an early age, you know, avid reader, so, uh, yeah, I was always, always had my nose in a book or a newspaper. Yeah. Um, and had an ability to remember facts, which is the most important thing, obviously, because you can read what you want if you don't remember it. And that's one of the problems I, I, deal, I deal with in the book is knowledge going out the other end now that you, you want to keep in there, you know. That's the yeah. problem you yeah. get older. So what do you prefer? Do you prefer the quizzes, the stage, the screen, acting, singing? If you could only do one of the... Th I mean, you've done so many things. If you could only do one, what would it be? I was recently... I can't, I can't even tell you how I did, but I was recently on Richard Osman's House of Games, and I thought... If I could just do this every day the rest of my life, I'd be happy. It's just <laughs> wonderful. But it, it's not like pure quizzing. There's a lot of, uh, there's anagrams. There's, there's all sorts of things going on. It's great. On a serious note, I'd still need to earn money. So I suppose musical theatre is what I enjoy the most because it combines acting, singing and dancing, which I'm rubbish at, but I find very satisfying to do once I've learnt it. You know, because I'm yeah. not good at it. I, I get more satisfaction out of doing a, a really good dance one night than anything else. So I suppose musical theatre would, would, would be the one. But for someone who doesn't like crowds, you're happier in a theatre with a live audience then than a studio with just the crew. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't mind. I'll attend a theatre. Yeah. I, I, I meant more uh, uh, concerts. I don't like being in the middle of a load of people driving away at a concert. You know, um, yeah. 
I suppose if you're in seats, there's an order to it. Yeah. And uh, you have a your own space. There that, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're in your own space. You're not in a mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I don't. I don't. Yeah, don't don't put it around that I, I dislike. Okay. The no, but you have, you have <laughs> you have done festivals though, haven't you? Because don't you do karaoke at festivals? But I'm on a stage. You're on the stage. Fine. Yeah. You don't get me wrong. I thoroughly enjoy it, and the people really enjoy it. Yeah. I I just find it, and, and I, I sort of envy them. Do you know what I mean? It's not a criticism. I envy them. What is the last gig you've been to that was that setting where you've been in, in the crowd? Oh, cool in the game, 1988. Wow. Find out all sorts on this program from the guests. Sean Williamson and his murder mystery podcast is called Eden's End. It's at number 17 this week. This is the pod 20. I'm Graham Mack. I'm counting down the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. At 16, NHS, Couch to 5K. It's a running plan if you're a complete beginner that can take you from being a couch potato to running a 5K in nine weeks. At 15, Pilot TV Podcast, which features Boyd Hilton. It's from the creators of the Empire Film Podcast, and it's your guide to essential new shows. Boyd will be my guest on this show in three weeks' time. My guest this week is the legendary radio presenter and one half of Ross and Jono Rebooted, the podcast. Yeah, they've got back together over 20 years after they presented The Breakfast Show, the Ross and Jono experience on Virgin Radio. Ross, what do you listen to? Talk sport a lot. Uh, talk radio a little bit. Uh, Five Live. Uh, Classic FM is on a lot in, in the house. Um, Any podcasts? Uh, do you know I'm not uh, sporting ones? Yeah, I, I don't listen to one particular, you know, so and so's podcast. Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't have time. <laughs> I'm not one of those people when I go out for a walk with a dog and I do that an awful lot. Uh, you see them, you know, with their, you know, their air things in their ears or headphones. I like to be aware of what's around me when I'm walking. It's called me old fashioned. Uh, but a lot of people do it and that's where they consume podcasts and what have you. I'd like to have some time to sit down and listen to podcasts, but um, if I can finish this novel, then I will have some time. Right. So you've got the novel, you've got your Japanese gardens thing going on. You play a yeah. bit of golf. You're on the okay. radio, you're on TalkSport and TalkSport 2 regularly. Yes, I am. Yes. And um, involved in Premier League coverage. Uh, right now I'm doing a boxing series with Spencer Oliver, which is called Fight of My Life. And that goes down once a week. Uh, first one just went out on last night, Sunday night. And basically you forensically examine uh, one fight in a boxer's career. When we finish talking today, I'm going to be talking with Spencer to Johnny Nelson and how he won a world title. Um, he was a boxer who didn't like to get hit at all, which was quite an achievement. Uh, Barry McGuigan we've done. Uh, Nigel Benn is next Sunday, 9 o'clock on TalkSport, which is an amazing listen. I mean, I, and I really mean that. It's an amazing listen. Um, and he's changed... Not that he was ever a bad guy. Uh, we got Carl Froch coming up, Joe Kalsaki. So I'm doing that. Premier League returns. I'm awaiting my TalkSport PPE um, because they're sending it out to all of us because we're going to go to grounds and what have you. Um, I'll be doing a couple of afternoon shows on TalkSport too, sort of magazine shows. And I've been working on 
the network's Bundesliga coverage as well. So I've been really busy. And yeah. I can do it because I've got my little microphone and <laughs> software and what have you. It's nowhere near as impressive as yours. <laughs> <laughs> this is my wardrobe I'm in right now. Don't let it's the... Don't let the fancy backdrop, the virtual uh, Zoom backdrop, fool you. This is... Uh, Smoke and mirrors, baby. That's all it is, mate. That's all yeah, it is. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. Ross, it's been terrific talking to you. If somebody wants to find out more about you and what you're up to, you got a website we can go straight to and find No, out. I don't. I should no. do one. But yeah. No, I don't. But they can read my new book, which is a health book. Yes. And it's called How to Walk Yourself Healthy and Happy, because I do a lot of dog walking, uh, I love walking. I think it's a great release mentally. And I decided, um, particularly when my mum was very, very ill and subsequently died in the middle of February, that walking um, somehow made me feel better mentally and actually inspired me to get stuff done when I really didn't want to do it because I was worried about my mum. And so I did loads of research. And it turns out there's 14 different types of walking that you can do from lolling along on an amble to a brisk walk to marathon walking, to swimming pool walking, uh, and the amazing things that doing it regularly, and that's the key, you've got to do it regularly, uh, that it does to the human body and your overall health. I mean, it can literally, if you take it seriously, it, it could get you off statins. It, blood pressure drugs could get you off those, helps you, you know, exist and make your diabetes better. Uh, ladies can walk through the menopause and all this is in the book um with the, the name of the book growth. again then ross it's called how to walk yourself healthy and happy it's and, out uh, now amazon everywhere you can get it yes it's amazon kindle it comes out on the 14th of june but you can mm -hmm. pre-order it now the paperback is out now and imminently surprise surprise uh, the audio book and I, and I and it's as cheap as i can make it um, this is not about me making money. I, I, I know how good walking is for people, believe me. And I lay out the, the proof. I, I say that, you know, I walk the walk and I talk the walk in this book, in my intro to it. And, you know, if, you, if you're fearful of gyms, you can't stand them, you feel under pressure, you feel intimidated. If you are overweight and you want to do something, to get yourself fitter, maybe a doctor has said, watch it, you could get diabetes or you've got to lose some weight. There's no better way of doing it than walking. And I have these charts in the book that show you your weight, what speed you walk at, how many calories you burn, for example. So there's helpful stuff in there. And I, I wrote the book because I wanted to just say to people, hey, you might sneer at this, but this is a great form of exercise. And maybe, just maybe, you should try it. For me, it's worked. Some of my best creative ideas I get when I'm walking and you just get a clear mind and fill your lungs with clean air and uh, keep a little dog in tow. So it's good fun. And I hope people enjoy it. Sounds great. We'll get back to your radio career in a bit, Ross. We'll talk about your big break. This is the pod 20. I'm Graham Mack. As I count down the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at the podcast radio.co.uk at number 14, it's table manners with Jesse Ware. Jesse hosts a podcast about food, family and the art of having a chat direct from her own dinner table with a little bit of help from her chef extraordinaire mom, Lenny. Now, Jesse's guest this week is the Labour politician, David Lammy. At 13, interesting podcast this, 
a once-in-a-century storm hits a remote Scottish island. As the isolated community takes shelter, a barbaric crime sets off a chain of events which heralds the rise of an ancient evil and threatens to change the course of history. And Edward Woodward is burned alive inside a giant wicker man as Britt Eklund dances naked and she's got this weird dubbed Scottish accent which never makes... Oh, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm thinking of... I'm thinking of... Stop the bagpipes, for goodness sake! It's a different thing altogether. This podcast is the one that stars the Golden Globe winner, Joanne Froggart, as the police sergeant, Jackie O'Hara. It's an eight-part supernatural thriller from the writer and director, Mark Healy. The Harrowing is at number 13 this week. Let's get back to my special guest now, radio legend Russ Williams, who hosts the Russ and Jono Rebooted podcast, teaming up with his old radio pal Jonathan Coleman from Virgin Radio Breakfast. Russ, you ended up spending 22 years on Virgin, and when it became absolute. But let's go back to 1990 when your big break came. You were working on the air at Metro Radio in Newcastle-upon-Tyne when Richard Park hired you at Capital. How had Richard Park heard of you? Uh, well... He used to be able to listen to radio stations in his home from all over the UK. He had some jack system, apparently. But also, I was helped by Mark Goodyear, who was at Radio 1. When I went to Metro, Mark Goodyear was senior presenter. And when Mark left, I was immediately promoted to senior presenter. And I got on very well with Mark. Don't see him as often as I would like to now, but he's had one or two problems, but he's still working, which is great. And we, we are good mates and we have some fun when we meet up. And uh, he put in some words with me, with Richard. And uh, Kid Jensen was doing a program called The Roxy in Newcastle. I don't know if you remember that. Tyne Tees Television. It was kind of like a top of the pops thing. And Kid right. was the host. Yeah. And uh, he would come to Metro to do his Capital Drive Time show. Uh, and so I got to know him. Uh, one of our producers, the late Jim Brown, who went to talk sport after Metro, uh, he's no longer with us. He was a great guy, was kind of looking after Kid, and I was friendly with him. And so I'd go and speak to Kid, and Kid would sit in reception. I was doing the afternoon show, and he'd hear some of my show, and he'd say, Hey, Russ, you know, I think you should go to Capital. Let me, I'm going to speak to Richard, you know. And he did. And so I, I got the call and I went then initially to do weekend breakfast, but inevitably I went on to all day parts, uh, just slipped in and uh, stayed there for three and a bit years and a really, really good time. And, and Richard great. Has, a, has a reputation in the industry for being, yeah. um, well, he has a reputation in the industries and some people who've worked with him absolutely love him and talk about it as he was inspirational and he was great. And some people say he was a nightmare. Which side of the fence did you fall on? I, I, would, be in the, uh, I would be in the first uh, category. What was it about him then? Because he was unique. Well, he had a presence. Uh, his hero uh, was Graham Souness as a player and a manager of a football club. And we were all compared to uh, positions in a football team. And he used to say to me, he'd say, Playing very well in midfield, occasional striker, scoring some goals, but you're not quite ready to be a front row striker yet, but keep up the good work and all this. And I kind of got that mentality. In fact, I remember when I did my first show, he won't remember this. It was, uh, there was no football season, a cricket season. And uh, the phone went, I'd just done Saturday morning breakfast uh, for Richard Allenson. It was away. And it was very nerve wracking, but it seemed to go okay. And uh, he phoned up and uh, he said, Ross, 
Richard Park here. How do you think it went? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I said, I think it went okay, Richard. I said, what do you think? And he said, I would say four runs, not six, but four runs. And just hung up. <laughs> um, but well, Richard, um, he was a bit of a mind games merchant. He, he would play mind games to try. He believed that that was the best way he would get the best out of you. I think probably it worked. But his ear for music, his... Uh, his understanding of what the audience wanted, um, his appreciation of the art of being uh, a DJ music broadcaster was, was second to none. And I worked for him again at, at Smooth, which um, he would openly admit probably wasn't the happiest time of, of my career. We had our disagreements, but we're still friends. Um, he uh, was uh, pretty ill about 18 months ago. And uh, I sent him an email and uh, he was delighted to hear from me. And I was just about to go and see him for a bite to eat and a coffee in his office uh, back in February. And of course, the pandemic uh, put paid to that. So uh, I, I will catch up with him again. But for me, there's in commercial radio and probably even in BBC radio, there has never been a better programme director than Richard Park. But he's not perfect. And he probably, looking back, uh, would admit that on occasion perhaps he was a bit of a horror. Uh, but Paul Jackson, uh, Richard's son, uh, was also a fantastic programme director, of course, uh, uh, not a chip off the old block, a, a different, a very compassionate man, but a very demanding man and another uh, radio uh, professional who's done extremely well in Australia, as you know. Yeah. Um, but I've worked for some great program directors. Henry Owens, who's no longer with us, bless him. He was a lovely guy. Mark Story was amazing. Uh, he had a fallout with Virgin and, and didn't stay for long. And we had a, a lady at Virgin from uh, San Francisco called Susie Maisel. And she was lovely, but uh, I don't think she could quite cope with the brutality and the partying of Virgin. John Revel. Uh, was a fantastic program director, as was Richard Skinner. They were joint program directors when I went to Virgin, which is most peculiar, like um, joint prime ministers. You remember when Cameron and uh, yeah. Nick Clegg were sharing uh, the job pretty yeah. much, although Cameron was at the forefront. Uh, it was probably Richard Skinner who was the Cameron and Nick Clegg was, was John Revel, but they were absolutely great to work for. David Lloyd uh, was program director with Richard Huntingford in support for a couple of years when it was getting ready to be sold. Uh, he was great. Clive Dickens was the boss for quite a few years for absolute Clive, brilliant radio professional, Tony Morey, uh, who now of course is, uh, with Steve Parkinson running Bauer. They're both great guys. Uh, Paul um, Sylvester just slipped into that job probably a year before I left Absolute, and he's doing a wonderful job. So I've been very, very lucky. I can't think of any programme director who I've worked for or haven't liked and respected well, more. Nice Giles Squire was right up there as well. And, and Graham Mack, some <laughs> local Graham Mack. More from Russ Williams in a bit. We'll find out how he got started in broadcasting. Back to the chart now, and at number 12, Real Dictators. It's a podcast series hosted by Paul McGann that explores the hidden lives of history's tyrants. This week's show is all about Joseph Stalin. At number 11, For the Many, a podcast presented by LBC's Ian Dale and the Labour politician and former Home Secretary Jackie Smith. Ian's a friend of the show. Let's talk about your show on LBC now. 
Now, you came out on the air as a West Ham fan. That must have been difficult. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, just talking about that, though, that, that brings me on to something that, that you do particularly well. You always tend to share a little bit of a nugget about who you are. A lot of presenters like to hide uh, certain parts of their life and a fundamental thing like being openly a West Ham fan, you share. I know where you're going now. <laughs> no, no, I'm, no, I'm not actually, no, I'm not actually going there because there's no point. It's not, it's not actually part of what I'm saying. It, it's just, you know, I, I know you drive an Audi and, you know, I know little bits and pieces about you. Did somebody have to tell you that or did, was it something you discovered by accident that, because uh, I know from doing, I, I've done a lot of comedy on Breakfast Radio and you can work really hard and rewrite something 10 times to get the wording absolutely perfect and to get the punchline just right and get the right music bed and everything. You meet a listener and they don't even notice, but then you say something about your cat, bang, first thing they mention. And it's, yeah. they do grab hold of these nuggets did did you well, have to learn that or was it something you instinctively knew going in i i remember well i think i did know it instinctively because as i say stephen nolan was somebody that i really looked up to and he he opens up a bit about his his life um but i remember one of the first programs i did i did a phone in on um, a decision by the advertising standards authority to allow abortion clinics to advertise on channel four but instead of getting people ringing in on that i got pe women phoning in telling me about their abortions and why they why they did it or if they regretted it now way outside my comfort zone and because it was i think in my first week i remember saying to jonathan um the managing editor i said look did i handle that right and he said, no, you absolutely did. He said, people will open up to you because you've got a soothing voice. You don't interrupt all the time. You don't shout at people. Uh, and you sort of give of yourself, a strange expression. But, and that always stuck with me. And, and he did say to me at one point, well, feel free to tell people about yourself because that encourages listener loyalty. And I think particularly at this time, when we're in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, um, people really do see you as a friend. I have lost count of the number of people who have actually said on air or sent emails, texts, tweets, um, both for the programme and actually for the podcast I do with Jackie. Um, thanks, for, thanks for helping us get through this. And at first I thought, what a strange thing to say. But people feel they can escape a bit. Now, OK, I am covering coronavirus on the programme, well, every day. But I'm not doing it in a sensationalist way. It's not my role to scaremonger. It is my role to tell the truth about what's going on and to give my opinion on what's going on. Um, but there is that, that relationship of trust because they, they've been with me for five, ten years or whatever. Uh, and they know me. And they know, I mean, I, I broadcast from my bedroom because it's the only room in the house with a carpet. Gets the noise, uh, 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 the echoes okay. Um and that has meant an awful lot to me. If I didn't understand before that what speech radio is, is partly public service broadcasting, I really understand that now. And when you have a moment where it flashes on your screen through your producer, Boris Johnson taken into intensive care, I mean, that's when you sink or swim. Your reaction to that is yeah. really, really important. You don't think about it at the time, but you've got to say the right thing. You don't want to panic people. That was an, a moment, I mean, it sounds dramatic, but it was a moment of national crisis. The Prime Minister could have died. 
And I had some really emotional texts mainly. I mean, one or two calls on it, but predominantly texts from people saying, I'm a diehard Labour voter. I love Jeremy Corbyn, but I'm crying. And you think, wow. And it's those sort of emotional moments. And when you have somebody phoning in to tell you that two hours previously his mother had died of coronavirus, your first reaction is to think, why would you phone a radio station? But he phoned me because he was a long-term listener. He trusted me. He knew that I, I would be able to handle what he was about to say. And he phoned in because he wanted to warn people to obey the instructions, to stay at home and all the rest of it, because he felt that he had given his mother coronavirus and killed her. He then phoned in the next week and he had it himself. And then the following week he phoned in and it recovered. And people like when, when they, you have a, sto- a story there developing. Um, and it, it, it's moments like that, that in, when I'm sort of dribbling in my retirement home for the bewildered radio presenters, it's moments like that that I will look back on and think, well, you know, I did enjoy it all, but I did actually do so. I did actually do something that meant something during coronavirus. Uh, and again, my program is because of the time slot. It's been really good for this. And I do this news hour at seven, which is quite fast paced. And then at eight, we do something which LBC has never really done before. We just have an open phone in. I don't ask a question. I just let people phone in on whatever they want to phone in. About. It's generally about coronavirus. Um, but it's worked fantastic. I didn't ask permission to do it. I just did it. I remember, in fact, I remember I was standing in for Andrew Pierce on a Friday night. And I thought, you know what? I don't want any guests tonight. Let's just open the phones up for three hours and just let people have their say. And it was fantastic. Um, so I do that every night. And then at nine o'clock, we do an expert hour, whether it's on mental health, um, employment, because obviously people got lots of questions about their employment status at the moment. Um, we have a doctor in once a week. Um, uh, and it, And those... I mean, I used to do these regular hours when I first joined LBC. Um, and I thought they'd kind of served their time. But in, in this kind of environment, there, there is such a thirst for knowledge and people have so many questions to ask. So again, I, I see that as a bit of a public service. Ian Dale. I'm Graham Mack and this is the Pod 20 where I count down the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co. UK. Inside the top 10 now and at number 10, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's lockdown parenting hell. It's parenting, just not as you know it. At 9, Happy Place, Fern Cotton talks to incredible people about life, love, loss and everything in between as she reveals what happiness means to them. At 8, it's Russ and Jono rebooted after more than 20 years apart. The Breakfast Show team from Virgin Radio are back together with a great podcast, Russ Williams is my special guest this week. Russ, when Virgin Radio started in 1993, we had a very different radio environment in the UK. You had stations like Atlantic 252 broadcasting into Britain from across the Irish Sea on Longwave. And you hosted the breakfast show on Virgin on your own to start with. I think after about three months, uh, the first ratings came out. And uh, I, I don't think, and of course, you've got to remember we're on medium wave only. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's difficult to make an impression. But David Cam- Campbell, who was the um, chief executive, he, uh, you know, another really, really good businessman and visionary, and he was very rock and roll. David, um, he said to me, he said, uh, well, you know, what are we effing going to do about 
these ratings were being beaten by a bunch of kids in a shed in Ireland. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, it's teething problems. And he had a big huff and threw a few things around us into recall. And um, it was about that time that I, I remember saying to John, you know what, doing a breakfast show on your own is really, really hard when you've got nobody to speak to and you, you, you actually have to have recall for a breakfast program. And so he said, well, I've got this idea. John owns on in the evening and I think he needs to be with somebody. Can we try you two together? So I said, in for a penny, in for a pound. And the rest is history. And when did you know it was working? Like, I mean, did you do pilots or did you just go straight in? No, straight into it. Straight into it. Next Monday, John will be with me. And how long did it take for you to get up to speed and learn to dance? I think after a year, we were second nature, probably six months before we ironed out. We never really had any problems because we're both easy going. Yeah. Um, it was just talking over each other, stuff like that. Yeah. Traffic issues. Yeah. Yeah. But very quickly. And how long till the ratings kind of started to move in the right direction? I ask because oh. I'm wondering these days if anybody, how long a, a new show would be given. You know, mm. there's a show in Manchester not been given yeah. that long recently. Oh, right. Yeah, I feel sorry for that, uh, people who are involved in that situation. Uh, we, we, we got the ratings moving, I think, after the first book that we've been together a little bit. Right. Then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and we were doing on medium wave alone, uh, I think between seven and eight in the morning, 850,000 half hours. Yeah, yeah. And that's You're huge. up against some pretty heavyweight competition. Chris Walter. Tarrant, yeah. 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 Steve and Wright. Was, was Chris Evans on Radio 1 by then? No. Oh, he wasn't at the beginning then. Right. He was a virgin doing the Big Red Mug show on a Saturday. Right. And the Big Breakfast. And he left Virgin uh, to concentrate on the television. And then, right. of course, as we know, in 98, he came back. Yeah, because that, that Ross and Jono show, the money that went through that, I mean, through commercial endorsement. I mean, you did promotions where you do, do things like go around the world. I That's mean, it. Literally, you brought the DHL. That's right. Every day from around the world. I mean, there was some mega, what we call S&P, sales and promotions. Yeah, uh, there was. Things going was. on there. I mean, the round the world trip was amazing. Jono didn't do it because... Uh, the official line was he's he's got work on VH1, which was a, a little what sort of satellite music channel. Uh, I, if I'm honest, um, I don't think physically he would have enjoyed it too much. It was a hell of a schedule. So he stayed with an audience in London, yeah. apart from Amsterdam, which was the first one. We basically did Amsterdam, Bahrain, which was boiling, <laughs> it was boiling there. Uh, then we went to Hong Kong. Then we went to Sydney. Then we went to, no, Auckland, sorry, uh, which you'll know. Then we went to Sydney. We flew Sydney to Hawaii and did the following Monday show from Honolulu Beach. Uh, then we went to San Francisco, Mexico City, Toronto, back down to New York on July the 4th. It was 29,000 miles. Wow. And, um, Unfortunately for me, I, 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 I was ill, about quite badly ill, about two weeks before we went, and I was on these drugs. I'd, I'd been to Poland to watch England play football. 
Um, and we'd taken a trip to the Silesian coal fields, a, a whole bunch of journalists and me on a, this organized trip. And I had some dodgy water. And I had a, what they call an amoeba. And uh, that goes into your body as one. And then in 24 hours, it becomes two, and then four, and then six, and then eight. And then your body gets ravaged by this thing, and you feel awful. Uh, some people, you know, violently ill. You can't eat anything. You feel permanently full. And I was under the care of a brilliant doctor, David Forecast, in, um, in Harley Street. It was Virgin's doctor. And he said, right, do not drink alcohol at all. That's hard. And Tim Finn in New Zealand was a pain in the bump. He knew that I couldn't do it, and he was constantly trying to – anyway, it's another story. And uh, as part of that trip, and he said, here's some very big white tablets. He said, you take one a day. It's going to kill everything in you, bacteria-wise, including the good stuff. So you've got to eat this kind of food, that kind of food, blah, 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 blah. And, and ring me from Sydney, tell me how you're feeling a, a week in, which I did. And uh, I remember – Feeling okay, obviously no alcohol, felt better, um, and still took about another year to recover from that, funny enough, when I got back properly, because uh, an amoeba upsets your sort of um, movements of everything inside you to do with your digestive system, and it's very difficult to shake off. Uh, but I did manage to shake it off, and I did the trip around the world, but I always remember that for about six months after, I was absolutely exhausted. Right. And through all these time zones. Because once you got back, it's straight back into it again. There's no break. It's straight into the show again. Breakfast yeah, yeah. Right straight into the show. Yeah. Jono came over for the 4th of July in New York. Yeah. The glamour of it all. <laughs> and I had a couple of days there with me. And we were both with our wives. And then we went back. And on the Monday, we went back on the Sunday, I think. And on the Monday, we were back on the show. <laughs> Ross Williams and Ross and Jono rebooted is at number eight this week on the pod 20. Number seven, no such thing as a fish. The writers of QI sit around a microphone and discuss the best things they've found out. At six, it's the Peter Crouch podcast. Back to the chart in a bit. Let's check back in with Ross Williams, who's a member of the Radio Hall of Fame. We talked about you working with the infamous programme director Richard Park at Capital Radio in London. Yeah. So, <laughs> Richard Park was... One of his things he's famous for is he demanded loyalty. So I heard. I never worked for him. Mm. How did he go with your decision then to leave Capital? Where he must have rated you because you filled in on the breakfast show for Chris Tarrant. When, when yeah, a lot, a lot in the so, last year. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Richard must have thought you were, you were part of the future of the station. For then, for you to decide to go to Virgin, how did he take that news? Not very well. Okay. Not very well. Yeah, I remember. Sue, his PA, phoned me up and said, I've got Richard for you. And I'd spoken to Richard about it. He said, I was thinking about it. And uh, he just said to me, I can't remember verbatim, but it was along the lines of, uh, well, you've obviously decided that you're going to leave. And I said, well, no, I haven't. He said, what do you have? Uh, he said, you can come in between the hours of 1am and 4am and clear your desk. Wow. You couldn't even go during business hours to clear your desk. No. Oh, okay. And, um, uh, capital were very honourable. I went on gardening leave for about three months and joined Virgin in 
I think it was March. I think it was sometime in March. And of course, we launched on the 30th of April. So I was involved in all the build up to that. But no, he wasn't very happy. And uh, I was in a very difficult position. This was a, a national commercial radio station. I think it was the I, first national music it was. station. Was it before Classic FM? And, uh, yes. Right. It was the first national, and I think it was a rock station. I think wasn't it taking on the old uh, Radio One frequency when Radio One had gone to FM? Was it? Um, I'm not sure. Twelve, twelve, fifteen. It might, it might have been. I don't know. Um, The big station at the time was uh, Atlantic Two Five Two. Right on Longwave coming in from. And and previous to that, of course, it was Laser Five Five Eight in the eighties. Pirate, yeah, yeah. Yeah, If you remember, it must have been very exciting to go to something. A completely different world to even capital that was amazing. But from my point of view, I looked at it that, that this is a chance worth taking. I knew I wouldn't go back to capital again. And people say, once you've stopped working for Richard, you never work for him again. Well, that's absolute nonsense because at Smooth, he came and asked me, met me, mm. we had a two hour lunch. Mm. And, uh, you know, t- to go and join Global, you know, bygones are bygones and all that. I mean, it was absolutely great. The problem was that it wasn't quite the dream that was sold to me, but that's another story for another really? occasion. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, Richard Branson was brand new to radio, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. That- I mean, there was a, there was just a dream to make a noise. Um, I don't mean literally to make a noise out of a radio, but in the industry, uh, you know, here's Branson. Um, I was talking about Richard Park previously, by the way, that the yes, dream that was sold to me, yeah. you know. It wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Oh, um, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confused. No, so the dream exactly. of capital wasn't what you expected. No, no. Smooth. Yeah. Oh, now I'm with you. And it, that's the second time when you re- when you worked with Richard. Yeah. The dream wasn't the same. I see. At- My point is you can go back and work for him. Yeah, of course. Suppose yeah. if he likes you. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I went to Virgin, of course, um, I was going to do afternoons there, funny enough. And... Um, Chris Evans was part of the team. Uh, John O'Coleman was on in the evening. Kevin Greening, bless his soul, was was there. Richard Skinner. Uh, Tommy Vance was doing drive time. Uh, Nick Abbott was there in a capacity. I think he was doing uh, a late night show. Mitch Johnson was earmarked for the breakfast show and they were doing dry runs. And one afternoon, John Revel found me up. He said, uh, hello, mate. I said, oh, hi, John. How are you doing? He said, uh, have you got an alarm clock? I said, what do you mean? He said, but I want you to do the breakfast show. So uh, I thought, well, I've got to go for it sort of thing. And that was the reason I left Capital. I, I just thought to myself that it would take forever to be given a chance and get a daytime slot. And also I'd seen a lot of colleagues at Capital, no names, no pack drill, who had fallen foul of, of the system. And there wasn't, you know, there was way thing, ways that things worked. And I thought that chances are that'll happen to me. So that's why I took the plunge. And it was an exciting project, of course. So that is why I did it. And I went and uh, it was pretty much the best decision I ever made. Because you you launched it. You did the first breakfast show on there? I was, uh, well, we, uh, on the day we launched, we launched at 12.15 a.m. Richard Skinner yeah. was on the air. He was mid-morning yeah. host. But I was with Branson going around the country in a helicopter. And I was in Manchester with Midure and Richard Branson. And, uh, in fact, just stay there a, a second. I've got the picture here. Wow. What about this, folks? This is historic. Here it is. Yeah. And there it is. There That's it is, me. Richard Branson. 
which you're there, I think, is there. We're at the Virgin Megastore in Manchester. And uh, we launched uh, the station and uh, eventually ended up in London after flying to Liverpool and Manchester and Newcastle from Edinburgh, Glasgow we did, Cardiff, Bristol, and then M4 Corridor, Battersea. This is all on the one day? Yes, this is on the first day. And he was doing inserts, Branson, with me from all of these places. And we ended up at Battersea Heliport. Helicopter landed, Virgin Bikes took us to the Piccadilly Theatre where there was the launch party with everyone and their auntie from the record industry, including all the radio bosses from other radio stations. And, uh, you know, so it was a big splash. Uh, it was called the Radio Revolution. Um, that's That was a strap line. I think the revolution didn't last very long uh, because they had to get some ratings. Yeah. And... Um, you know, you can play Robin Hitchcock records all you want, and it's all very worthy and good. They're good records, most of them. But, you know, people want to hear In Excess and U2 and stuff like that. So uh, very quickly, it became a lot more accessible. Ross Williams, I'm Graham Mack. This is the Pod 20, the countdown of the top 20 podcasts right now, based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. At number five, Waveform. The MKBHD podcast, a tech podcast which you'll love if you're a gadget lover or a tech head. Number four, Desert Island Discs. This week's castaway is the actress Helen McCrory. She played Cherie Blair in The Queen and The Special Relationship, so she's played her twice. She was also in the final three Harry Potter films, the James Bond film Skyfall and Peaky Blinders. Desert Island Discs is at number four. My guest this week is the radio legend Ross Williams. How did you get into broadcasting, Ross? I always wanted to work on the radio. So when I left school, I went to the College of Further Education in Eastbourne and did a higher national diploma in business studies and majored in economics because I'd got an A-level in economics. I got an S-level in economics and obviously I've got an economics pass as part of my HND. And my uh, tutor there was actually the father of a friend of mine. Uh, he said, you, you really have to apply to go to university to do economics. You've got a real talent for it. And I said, mm, I, I really want to work on the radio. Ever since I was about six years old, listening to Radio Caroline North, I was bitten by the bug. And uh, despite moving south, um, that desire uh, got a lot bigger. And I did hospital radio from the age of 11 in Eastbourne, pretty much when I turned up. And they eventually gave me my own show. And, um, and then, uh, after I left college, I went and worked for a bank, the NatWest Bank. I was in the trust and tax services department, which was interminably dull. But mortgage rates were 1% if I wanted a house, which is not bad. I mean, it's a bit high compared to what it is now, of course. Um, <laughs> And I, my job was to deal and help um, people who were far more qualified than me uh, keep track of uh, a lot of the old folks in Eastbourne, their stocks and shares and their investments and trusts. And the bank spent a lot of money sending me off to a place called Haythorpe, Haythorpe Park. Uh, yeah, not Haythorpe, Haythorpe in Oxfordshire. And I, I just passed and was about to get promoted. Woohoo! And I wasn't really bothered. And um, and then I resigned and I went and got a job as a dog's body, a man Friday, as Rory McLeod called it at the new station in Brighton, 
Southern Sound, and that was in 1983. And he sent me to the National Broadcasting School in Greek Street. My grandmother, my father's mum, who's no longer with us, obviously, um, she lived at Walthamstow. And so I stayed with her for about four months and every day got the bus and then the tube from uh, Walthamstow Central into the West End. And uh, I had an absolute ball being taught by people like Neil Spence and uh, Michael Bucht uh, and all these uh, people, some of them, Terry, I forget his surname. He was a fantastic guy. He was from up north. And it was a brilliant, brilliant place. You couldn't have a place like that now, Graham, because I don't know about you, whether you've been approached in your career recently, certainly in recent years, you know, and they say, oh, you know, you've got so much experience. Well, yeah. Um, would you like to share it with people who want to get into radio? Yes, I would. Uh, but the trouble is, if you do that in the form of a, a little course, you know, for a couple of days, uh, you have to lie to them then and say, uh, make a demo tape and you'll probably get a job if you're any good. That isn't the case. No. The industry has changed. So I was, once again, very lucky, like you, um, to get into the radio business at a time when it was much easier to do it if you did have any modicum of talent. Yeah, I can remember making uh, hun literally hundreds of cassette demos from That's my it. community yeah. radio show that I did in yeah. Sydney yeah. and sending it to every commercial radio station in Australia, pretty much, certainly in New South Wales and Victoria, Queensland. Yeah. I don't know if I sent too many to Western Australia, but you just sent them out and then you got... You know, about 10% of them would send you a letter back and then you'd, you'd send them a letter Awful saying... mug, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd send them a letter back saying, do you know what, thank you very much. You know, they seemed a little bit keen. And then you go, do you know what, I'm going to be in your town next yeah. week. Do you mind if I pop in? <laughs> of course, you'd, you'd make sure you'd go to that town. Is that how you got the job at Metro then? Is that so Newcastle upon Tyne, where Metro is, is a long, long yeah. way from well, well, you can the get first one and still stay in England. The first place I went, actually, to apply for a job in a roundabout kind of way was my dad took me back to, back to Blackpool, and they had a radio station there that was just starting up called Rock FM, mm -hmm. if you remember. It was a Red Rose Radio, it was called. That's it. Now, the man behind it was, ha-ha, a man called Owen Oyston, who subsequently has become notorious um, for... He was, a, he was an estate agent, wasn't he? That he made was. Good. Yeah. And I'd made a demo tape at the hospital radio, and I walked into the estate agent's office and I said, uh, can I speak to Mr. Royston, please? And they said, he's not here. Of course, he could have been in the back. Uh, but I left my demo tape and a covering note that my dad had typed up for me and I'd signed. And eventually, I got a reply from the program director, Keith Macklin, the old sports broadcaster, who said, uh, dear Russ, don't think you've got enough experience, but thank you for your interest. The usual bog standard um, thing so uh, that was a little bit deflating but when i was at the hospital radio i, I recorded uh, a demo tape but not playing music i did like uh, news reports and features and i recorded it on a little uh, reel of quarter inch tape and i sent it to rory mcleod who was the program director and uh, him and barbara groom sat down and listened to it and on the strength of what i did and my voice and obviously they felt I knew what I was doing, considering I was so inexperienced. Um, they invited me over for a, an interview. I got the Mad Friday position. He said, I'm going to send you off to the broadcasting school. And so I went on air with Southern, where I stayed for three years. 
eventually doing the mid-morning show, current affairs, phone in um, music, bit of a mixture, you know, local radio mixture of everything. Even commercial radio used to do that, folks, in those days. And um, one day, I got a phone call from Giles Squire. I'm Giles Squire. I've been sitting on the end of Brighton Pier listening to you. Do you want to come to Newcastle? I thought, I've got a flat on the seafront in Brighton. You know, all my friends, I look out, uh, sunshine, and Newcastle is a hellhole, I thought. So they flew me up, Dan Air, no longer exists, from uh, Gatwick. I met Giles, who showed me around, Mick Johnson, who was the programme director. And what I remember about Mick is two things. A, he was a really nice, honourable man. And B, he had the most appalling basin haircut. <laughs> but he was a very clever man. And uh, he did the old trick. He said, well, we think at Brighton had a bit of paper. You're earning this much and turned it over. And I went, hmm. He said, what about if we offered you this much? Would you be prepared to come? And um, they'd underestimated a little bit what I was earning at Brighton. But actually, they significantly increased what they probably would have paid for me. So... uh, I thought about it a lot, and I thought, and I liked Giles. I thought he was inspirational, and so off I went to Newcastle. Lived in a, a shared house, had the time of my life in Jesmond. Uh, within about four months, I realised that I hadn't made a mistake at all. It was just the most amazing city. Still, I still say the best city, excuse me, that I've that I've ever lived in, and um, had a wonderful time. Mark Goodyear was there, Steve Coleman, Nikki Brown. Um, there was there was all sorts of um, people who went on to do Clive Warren. Really, he went to Radio One, and Giles had had assembled this sort of super team, if you like, of um, you know up and coming DJs, jocks, uh, and that's why Metro Radio uh, actually outrated Radio One in the northeast of England, which you know is unheard of. Mm. these days mm. and um i had three brilliant brilliant years there and um then i got a call from uh, a certain scottish gentleman who said uh, dear boy richard park here how are you how would you like to come and play with the big boys and so obviously i went back to london that was just before the world cup in italia 90 started which funnily enough obviously is uh, 30 years ago but pretty much as we're doing this interview wow italia 90 30 years ago well i suppose it is isn't it there's a clue in the name that's Russ Williams. I'm Graham Mack, and this is the countdown of the top 20 podcasts. And at number three this week, it's the Joe Rogan experience. Number two, shagged, married, annoyed. The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is to do a podcast. And number one, again this week, it's Grounded with Louis Theroux. His latest guest is the actor and comedian Chris O'Dowd. That's it for episode 10 of the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio. I'm Graham Mack and thanks to this week's guest podcasters, Ross Williams, Ian Dale and Sean Williamson. If you'd like to watch extended Zoom chats with all of my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Next week, my guests are the BBC TV presenters and reporters Zoe Kleinman and Susanna Streeter. They'll be talking about their podcast, Backspace and Beyond. Zoe, give us an idea of some of the stuff you talk about. 
I tweeted this thing yesterday that's gone completely mad and it's about people still using really old gadgets and devices yeah and it's just taken on a life of its own I've had the most I wish I could I wish I could sort of I don't know print it out and display it the most incredible photos and stories of people using you know 50 year old Kenwood food mixes my word I think they were designed to survive the apocalypse (laughs) you would not believe how old they are and how many people are still using them you know original Game Boys and uh, um, and and really old sort of games consoles um, sewing machine I mean it's just beautiful um the, the amount of things that people are saying that they're just they're just not getting rid of hi-fi equipment you know ancient speakers and turntables and old fm radios that that just just do not give up the ghost the only thing is though so i bet there are so many arguments in those houses there'd be one partner saying can you just get rid of that rubbish <laughs> you've just mountains of it come on let's get some new stuff it's appealing to the, the inner hoarder in me certainly because I sort of have a habit of keeping everything but you know it's 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 absolutely amazing to see at a time when we are really pushed quite hard aren't we as a consumer society to buy 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 and to get the the next version and to do the software update and all the rest of it whereas actually this kit that was made you know my nan has a chest freezer that I know for a fact is older than me and is still going in somebody's house I'm sure um you know you, you don't need it, do you? My hand whisk is still going strong. Zoe Kleinman and Susanna Streeter next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will Louis Theroux stay at number one? Or will he be knocked off like he was three weeks ago? Will your favourite podcast be number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.